Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of Podcast 360, your go-to resource for medical news and clinical updates. I'm your moderator, Jessica Bard, with Consultant 360, a multidisciplinary medical information network. Schizophrenia affects approximately 24 million people, or one in 300 people worldwide, according to the World Health Organization. Dr. Clay Jackson is here to speak with us about schizophrenia today. Dr. Jackson is an assistant professor of clinical psychiatry and family medicine at the University of Tennessee College of Medicine in Memphis, Tennessee. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Jackson. What are the differences between schizophrenia and disassociative identity disorder? I think this is very important because there's a lot of layperson confusion around uh, most of the serious psychiatric disorders. There's a popular song from a popular singer recently where one's lover is not behaving as one would like, and the artist sings, uh, I think we have a case of bipolar. And so it's, uh, it's, it's very common for people to say, oh, um, in a negative and pejorative sense, they're schizo, or I think they have multiple personalities. And so um, when human behaviors, moods, and thoughts exceed the normal boundaries of societal expectations. Laypersons, sometimes even clinicians, can label people or persons with pejorative labels that might or might not be accurate. And almost always in those cases are injurious to the patient's sense of self-esteem and sometimes can be injurious to our own diagnostic process. Well, let's get beyond those problems and let's talk about an honest clinician trying to make an honest diagnosis. What we're really looking at here is psychosis, a, a difference in perception and thinking. And that's sort of the sine qua non of schizophrenia. Schizophrenia involves disturbed perceptions and disturbed thoughts. Both DID or dissociative identity patients and schizophrenia patients may hear voices. They may have hallucinations. But typically, typically the DID patient or the so-called multiple personality patient will hear those voices much earlier in life. They will hear multiple voices, and typically those voices will actually converse with one another. Whereas in schizophrenia patients, the, the, the voices tend to be later in life, and they tend not to converse with one another, but rather with the patient himself or the patient herself. Think of DID as a fracturing of the personality at the time of personality formation. Often DID patients have an early life trauma at the time of consolidation, all of us have imaginary friends at age three and age four. We all have those, uh, the, the sense of self, the sense of a unified personality. It's really not formed until a little bit later in development. And think about a trauma that would prevent that normal synthesis of personality. That's typically what drives DID. Whereas schizophrenia is a neurodegenerative disorder that occurs later in adolescence or early adulthood. And, and that becomes the problem with perception. So DID has much more of a developmental feel, whereas schizophrenia has more of a neurodegenerative feel uh, in terms of, of how you might frame it theoretically. But clinically, those are some distinguishing characteristics that we can see. Yes, voices on both sides, but a careful history of uh, childhood and development, a careful history of thinking about the demographics of presentation and the other symptoms associated with the illness should distinguish for a listening and careful clinician fairly quickly between DID and schizophrenia. How should these patients, patients with schizophrenia, be managed? With respect, with compassion, and, and frankly, in almost all cases, with robust pharmacology. 
there are many mental health diagnoses for whom, for, for which, excuse me, personal engagement, exercise, non-pharmacologic interventions such as meditation can be extremely helpful. And with schizophrenia, it can be as well. Yet most of these patients will not do well unless they have intervention at the dopaminergic pathway. And so antipsychotics, first generation, second generation, can be incredibly helpful in helping patients to organize their thoughts, to improve their affect, and to manage their behaviors. Now, there are a number of pharmacologic targets that are involved in schizophrenia. There's a, there's a dopamine hypothesis, a serotonergic hypothesis. There are those who are studying the effects of GABA and glutamate in these patients. But classically, alteration of uh, dopaminergic challenges in these patients has been the, the sine qua non or the, or the cornerstone of treatment. So uh, typical or atypical antipsychotics would be the foundation of pharmacologic treatment. Now, having said that, having said that and, and emphasizing the importance of pharmacology, I do want to say that we don't just give these patients tablets or inject them with medications and then say, go your way, we'll see you at the next appointment. Community support, psychoeducation, social work support can be so valuable in preserving the relational and vocational vitality of patients with schizophrenia. Uh, it, the goal is not just deinstitutionalization. The goal is maximal societal integration and having these patients reach their, their, their fullest potential. And that's not possible with pharmacology alone. To paraphrase our, our former Secretary of State and to uh, who was then paraphrasing an African proverb, it does indeed take a village. It, it takes all of us working together to help patients with schizophrenia to achieve their, their potential. So, so treat them pharmacologically, but also be aware of some of the non-farm interventions that can, that can supplement that and help patients to achieve th their brightest potential. How about the gaps in the research of schizophrenia? Oh, wow. They're everywhere. They're everywhere. Understanding GABA, understanding glutamate, understanding NMDA antagonists and, and their role, the serotonin hypothesis and how some of the newer atypical antipsychotics, which have the serotonergic modulation effects, how they might affect some of the negative symptoms. Schizophrenia is so important. Anything that helps us with the negative symptoms is, is critical. We do a pretty good job of treating the positive symptoms of schizophrenia. Uh, but we need to improve the treatment of negative symptoms. Having agents which have robust efficacy and yet don't have the um, adverse event profile, that's always helpful. Um, understanding this contribution of genetic or even obstetric and, and um, epigenetic influences, uh, early life adversity influences on schizophrenia, teasing out what is you know, is there a westernized society problem with schizophrenia? Probably not. The prevalence is fairly similar worldwide. But if you if you actually cut that with urban versus rural epidemiology, it does look like urban living may have an important role to play. So there are a number of sociologic, genetic, and pharmacologic avenues that excite us who are interested in research of a psychiatric illness because schizophrenia, certainly there are more answers in front of us than are behind us. Is there anything else that you'd like to add today, Dr. Jackson? Well, thank you so much for having me. Let's be compassionate and collaborative with these patients. Let's don't be hierarchical. Let's truly hear their stories, sit with them, partner with them, and let's see them maximize their potential in society because they have, um, there's a lot we can give these patients. 
but there's actually a lot that they can give to us as well. Thank you for being here. We appreciate your time today. Appreciate it so much.